right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Property Players, the podcast here where we're talking all things real estate. Uh, today, got an awesome guest for you guys. Again, always adding value, always giving you guys what you want to hear to answer questions and things of that nature when it comes to real estate. But this is a guy that we've been connected over the past few months. What's well, probably been six months. When, when did the Disrupt Tour happen? I want to say that was June 1st, June 2018. Yeah, there we go. June of this year. So, you know, four, four, five months that we've been connected. Um, and this is just a guy that, you know, we, we, we just hit it off. I knew that he knew his stuff in real estate. Um, so I wanted to bring him on the podcast. Um, so without further ado, Mr. Nick Aarons, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's an uh, honor to be here. Super happy to be here. And it's been great knowing you and super glad that we connected as Absolutely. well at the, at the Disruptor. Absolutely. Likewise. Likewise. And, you know, I've said it over and over again. Life is just about relationships, right? It's just about who we know and then building those relationships, adding value, having mutually beneficial relationships. So I know that we're going to continue to stay connected and you've already done a lot for me and vice versa, being on the podcast and everything. So again, welcome in. But let's just jump straight in. Let's jump straight in. Tell us who Nick Aarons is, right? Like, take me through the origin story. Tell me, right? How, how we got to this point. So how we got to this point. So born and raised in San Clemente, California. For those of you who don't know, it's, um, it's a little beach town in Southern California. Little, I mean, about 80,000 people, but we are, it's kind of uniquely situated. It's quite isolated. It only connects to one other city. And to one side, we have ocean to two sides. We have Camp Pendleton, largest military base in the country. And we've got one city connected to the north side of us. So it, it does have a little bit of an isolated feeling. Grew up small surf town, always at the beach, surfing, playing water polo, swimming. You surfed, you, you surfed as a kid a lot, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, my dad actually used to shape surfboards on the North Shore of Hawaii for a number of years. No way. And so he had me in the water since I can remember. It's kind of like walking for me. Most people don't really remember learning how to walk. I don't really remember learning how to surf. Sure. It's just something I knew how to do. Just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And very fortunate to have very loving, kind parents. Grew up. Yeah. What did your parents do for work? Like the, the entire time? Like what did they do? Uh, my dad had his own small business. He was a chiropractor in town. Okay. And my mom helped a lot of back-end stuff and a lot of HR stuff there. Got mm-hmm. it. And so then, continue. yeah, uh, ended up, I was, fortunately, I had, I had put in enough work and time and training hours to end up going to a Division One school for water polo. Uh, I went to USC, graduated USC, and while I, was at, while I was there, fell in love with a beautiful Swedish lady and moved to Sweden with her for actually about 15 months no, during the immigration process knowing the whole time I wanted to get into real estate. And so I started asking all my fraternity brothers, all my buddies back home, everybody I could get in contact with, hey, what are some books on flipping homes, investing in homes, just about property in general, how to build, how to build properties from the ground up, how to become a real estate agent. That's, that's a world that I knew I wanted to get into. Why? Why? Why did you know that? Like, did you know people that were in real estate? Did you just always see homes? Did you have a love for it? Like, how did it come about? That's actually a good question. I'm not exactly sure. Ever since I was a little kid, I always would drive by for sales signs and go, that, that looks fun. That looks like something I want to do, something I want to get involved in, helping, helping people move and play matchmaker and, and get them into the right, the right house. Got it. I really didn't know exactly how the business was run, but for some reason, just something was telling me, just get into the industry. Sure. And what really struck struck a chord with me while I was in Sweden was flipping homes. 
And that was back in 2011, 2012. So when I came back, I ran out, I was out of money <laughs> because Sweden is, well, it's expensive over there as everybody who's been there knows. <laughs> Got it. And, and I couldn't work. I was on a tourist visa. So I was just reading and playing water polo and, and hanging out. That's actually pretty sweet life though, just so you know, right? Like, and here's, here's what's funny, Nick, right? We always learn stuff about each other. You know, I played polo also. That's like, awesome. Yeah. In high school. And I grew up on the East coast. So I grew up in Philly and uh, at my school we had water polo and it was just a fluke thing that I got into it because in middle school I played soccer, right? And soccer was a fall sport and polo wound up being a fall sport. And then a couple of the people that I played soccer with, when we got into freshman year, they said, hey, you should come out for polo. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, never played polo, but I was a swimmer as a child, right? As a child, I just loved the water and I was a swimmer. I swam, swam on a swim team for some time and I played basketball and all the other ball sports that you would play. So it gave me really good hand-eye coordination. So I was like, sure, I'll try it out. I wound up getting into polo and was really good. was mm-hmm. really good at it, right? Got like, I don't know, some most improved player of the year, right? Like my sophomore, my junior year, I wind up getting a scholarship to a small college called or Sinus College for, wow. for polo. But I didn't want to play polo long term. I was like, I, I was just doing this for fun because it was school and I'm not going to go to school and play polo. Like that's not it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But I have a love for polo. So anybody that has played polo, we have an instant, an instant bond, Nick. <laughs> oh, exactly. We've all been there. We've all we've all played it. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a fraternity in a sense. Absolutely. And it's and it's a small world. The water polo world is a very very small world. And and yeah, a lot of people, a lot of us, have that opportunity to go to university and play college, college water polo. And some of us use it as a tool to get in in the right direction. For some people, it's not the university we really want to go to. And there's no pro water polo out there. So what the heck are we going to do afterwards? Exactly. That was always my dilemma. It's like, (laughs) why am I going to continue to do this? Like, where does that lead to? Like, I just just play in the Olympics every four years. Like, is that that, that it? So that's funny. That's funny. So so either way, we digress, right? So So you're back from Sweden. You're back from Sweden. How did, how did it start to go when you were flipping homes and, and then moving forward in the industry? So when I first got back from Sweden, it was, I was kind of in an odd spot because my wife and I had moved back with my parents because we didn't really have enough money. I didn't have any income. She didn't have any income. So I was actually out surfing with a buddy of mine and purposely as loud as I could in the water, I said, yeah, as he was a long ways away from me and it was Anybody who knows lower trestles, there's probably 50, 60 people in a small, tiny little area about the size of a small office. That's where everybody has to take off on the wave. And he was on the other side of the pack of people. And I said, yeah, if you know anybody looking for a USC grad who's, uh, who's, who's looking to hire a USC grad, let me know. And one of the guys in the water turns around and goes, you want a job? And I said, <laughs> yep. He said, I have my own window cleaning company. I said, done. Let me know. And he, he turns around and takes a wave all the way to the shore. And I went, Shut oh, crap, what do I do? Yeah. So I just, I paddled straight in, got the first wave all the way in, went up to him and said, hey, what the heck's going on here? He goes, oh yeah, here's my company name. Just give me a call. Don't worry, it'll, it'll get set up. Went, all right. <laughs> so, uh, it was just that easy, right? Like just grad yeah. done. Hey, let me yell out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I need a job. That's funny. It turns out uh, him and I ended up knowing a bunch of people. Super rad guy, Christian Dorn. And... I, I was saving up so we could move out and then saved up for about, and we had about six months of income 
as I was studying for six, six months of money to be able to live off of, as I had just finished up getting my real estate license. And so I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go for it. And by this point, my wife and I, we had moved out. We were in our own place, had about six months of money. And I said, I got to do it. And she is actually the one who set me up with an individual who was flipping homes. Got to know him. And he took me under his wing. And it was a phenomenal experience. I am so blessed to be able to be in that type of environment, especially with a group of guys who are flipping homes. To give you guys kind of a perspective on the market here and the volume they were doing, uh, the average price point in our area is about about eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand, nice. and these guys were flipping probably anywhere from forty to about seventy-five homes a year. Wow! So we always had a bunch of projects going on, and so they kind of trained me to do the whole thing, start to finish, from evaluating a property before purchase, what what the numbers would look like breakdown wise for the rehab then how to buy it, then how to rehab it, how to, how to essentially subcontract out all the work, follow it all the way through, through the sale, and then have a new buyer for it. Wow. So they basically showed you the ropes. They, told, they taught you exactly how to go from point A to point Z in, right, yeah. in, in flipping. Yeah. I, I was hardly making any money doing it. Um, but the experience I gained from that is something that really separates me from a lot of other agents in the area here. So I can walk into a kitchen and somebody says, Hey, what do you think? What do you think granite countertops will cost to, to install on this property? And I can go, okay, it looks about that big. I know a guy who can do it for probably about $7,000. They go, well, that's, that's either more or less expensive, but I can give them kind of ballpark numbers sure. for different things on the spot. Yeah. And so, right. I, I think that's a great place to kind of stop and, and just talk a bit because there's a lot of people probably listening to the podcast that want to get into real estate investing at some point if you're not already an investor. And a lot of times I've come across it, Nick, people are just like, I don't know how to start or I don't have the money or whatever the case is. But the biggest thing that you did and why you're successful now is because you were able to go in and learn and not make any money, right? Make very little money, but you mm-hmm. were getting paid in what I call soft dollars, right? Which is the knowledge, it's the information so that now in your career, you can make that assessment when you walk into that person's house. Um, give, give the people some, some value, Nick, like someone that's feeling that they want to get started in the flipping, right? Fix and flipping arena. W- would you recommend that they like find someone doing it and get a mentor type of thing and reach out or like, how would they start? Oh yeah. Uh, I would absolutely recommend teaming up with somebody who's done it at a high level. A lot of times, whether you have no money, a little money, or if you've got $30 million, you're trying to turn over again and again and again, year after year after year. It's, it's not something I would advise people to just jump straight into. Why not? I've seen a lot of flips done. I've ran numbers on flips that other people have done and some people are buying properties at $700,000, trying to sell them at $900,000 and are losing money mm. because they had to put so much work, time and energy and money into the actual property. And they didn't calculate out the numbers correctly from the get go, from the beginning. And so to be able to have some sort of a mentorship or some sort of a mentor, some sort of partner you can invest with is huge. It's extremely important. And just, Every, every county has trustee sales, properties that go into foreclosure and they get auctioned off at the courthouse. Got it. Go and meet every single person over there. A lot of them will be guarded. Hardly any of them will talk to you in the beginning, but just keep showing up, 
keep running the numbers, see, go see what properties are coming up and what they're buying them for in the gap there. That'll give you kind of a general idea of who's buying what in what price range and for what gaps. Guys right now really aren't making a whole lot of money on it as well, which is another caution because the market's so good, a lot of people are doing it. Mm-hmm. And so margins have, have slimmed tremendously. Now, if the market goes through a correction, that might change a bit, but you don't need a whole lot of money to actually get started in it. A lot of people take the route of wholesaling real estate, uh, which is finding distressed properties and essentially being a middleman to an investor. Finding a distressed property, essentially telling somebody, hey, I, I can help you get rid of your property and all your debt for this amount of money. And then you sell the property to an investor who will buy it cash, usually in about a week or 10 days. And you'll get maybe five or $10,000 commission from that. And so that's also another good way to get started. So that's called wholesaling, correct? Yeah, wholesale real estate. Gotcha. So there's a lot of people out there that, right, if you have you have don't have much money, right? That's a way that I know also that you can get into the investor side of real estate without any money, without any credit, without anything. Mm-hmm. You can just go in. But again, I think and you you hit this and it was subtle, but like it's about the relationships you're building, right? If oh, you yeah. go if you go to one of those courthouse auctions, right? Yeah, some people might just be looking at the properties. Some people might just be trying to buy buy that home there like, oh yeah, that's that's undervalued or whatever the case is. But other people, like you said, Nick, you should go there to meet people, right? Yeah. You should go there to shake some hands. And like, these are people that are already investing. They already know where to go. They probably already have capital, right? So even just learning from them and networking with them at that place could help you get in the door. If they are an investor and then you want to get into wholesaling, right? Then at the end of the day, go find it. And then guess what? You met them at the courthouse, right? Now, you know, you have an investor, but it all comes down to talking to people. And I think, I think it's a lost art form. I think it's a lost art form. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And and learning how to create, create relationships with people where you're continuously adding value and it's continuously giving as much as you possibly can to these people. Go, go offer to work for them for free or just say, Hey, if you give me gas money and lunch money, I will drive and get as much information as I can on whatever properties you're interested in and just get to know these individuals and build those relationships. Exactly. Like you said, it's extraordinarily important to have that, especially in real estate because the 80, 20 rule doesn't apply in real estate. It's more about 95, five and about 5% of the people probably do about 95% of the business. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's kind of how that's, that's kind of what, generally what I've seen here and to be able to have good relationships with not only investors, but other agents deals will end up coming your way because they go, you know what, this isn't going to make me enough money. Do you know anybody for this property? And because maybe they can just pass it off to somebody else because they're not interested or they're too busy or they've got their money tied up in 15 or 30 other different projects that they're currently working on and they don't have the liquid capital to be able to move into an into a new deal and it could just be a fantastic deal they don't have the money for at the moment absolutely so by knowing these people stuff's going to come come in front of you it's all about it's all about the relationships nick you definitely hit the nail on the head there so let's fast forward and get to where you're at now right so you mm-hmm. you were working you were working with some people they taught you how to flip right so then how did you transition into being an actual buyer because you're 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 an agent for both buyers and sellers yes Yes, exactly. And so I still work with a couple investors. I don't do nearly as much of that anymore. 
um, mainly because I, I get a lot more joy out of out of resale, out of helping people buy homes and people sell homes and, and actually move in them and move from them than I do out of out of real estate investing. And so that's that's where my real passion lies. And so what ended up happening to kind of continue that story to where I'm at now is I I always knew I wanted to start a team. A huge passion of mine was coaching, and coaching and mentoring and and helping people grow as much as possible. And I, so I went to a conference on starting and joining real estate teams and ended up going, going up to the guy afterwards who invited me to this conference and said, all right, I got to meet these two individuals who are on stage and um, met one of them, showed me his business plan, showed me his business model, very humble, super open about everything. And I said, where the heck do I sign up? <laughs> uh, and that that's been one of the one of the best decisions of my life. You can see my shirt here, the Reed Team shirt. That's uh, reedteamhomes.com. That's where you can find us. Uh, we're one of the best in Orange County, hands down. And and you uh, and, and just really quick, you got to them by asking, right? I want people to yeah. hear this on the podcast, right? Like you got to them because you were at this conference and you said. I really want to talk to those people and you ask the right question so that you could be in front of, I take it the broker or the, the owner, I take it. Uh, it's the, um, it, it's the owner of our team. Okay. However, it's, we don't, we don't treat it that way in the sense here. We have everybody kind of on an evil, even playing field to where even he has just as much weight in decisions we make as I do as the newest person on the team does. Uh, that, that's hugely important to us in our internal culture, but is that one of the things that, that caused you to, to choose them? Like what, what were some of the deciding factors? Cause there's probably people out there that are mm-hmm. trying to figure out like where they should go. What, what were some of your, your keys? One first and foremost was me being humble in, in my approach. Uh, like you said, it's, it's asking the right questions to the right people and just go ahead and ask for favors from people. Don't ask for a lot of work and a huge amount of favors. Just ask for an introduction. What's the worst thing that can happen? Somebody says no. And when, when I got to know Jimmy, it, I had to be very honest and humble with myself and say, hey, here's who I am. Here's my experiences. Here are my pitfalls. Here's what I'm horrendous at. Here's where I need to learn. Here's what I need. Here's some skill sets that I need um, refining. And here's what I'm good at. And this is who I am. And being, being that humble, he did the exact same, back, same thing back with me. He said, here's my team. Get to know them. Here's my systems. Here's my model. Here's our structure. Here's how you can grow your business within my business. Here's how I plan to grow my business and take it from here. And it was, it was that level of communication that made everything kind of, kind of line up sure. in a sense. And we said, this is going to work really well together. And the personalities fit together. And well, here we are. Kicking that's, ass. That's important, right? That's important if your, your visions have got to line up, right? I'm glad you said mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, I'm in financial services, right? So I also am one of the people that I'm always sharing the vision of where we're going. And I'll just tell you, right? Some people buy in, some people don't, right? And if yeah. it's not a good fit, that's okay, right? Like, we're just fine. We're looking for the people that it is a fit for and that our vision and our goals can be similar to theirs and they can build their business inside of, of, of my business, right? It's the exact same stuff, but being able to have that communication, I'm glad you mm-hmm. said that. It's about having that communication with the people you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the other reasons I, I joined where I'm at now is 
obviously our, our business goals aligned. Uh, a lot of our personal goals in, in our lives also aligned as well. And the level of training and mentorship that, that I'm able to receive here and the amount of team collaboration that we do is on a whole nother level beyond beyond what I've seen from just about anywhere else. Sure. That's awesome. Man. That's that, awesome. Yeah. And so that that culture, that vibe, and those systems and models we use is, are all reasons why I joined a team. Now, if you're looking, if you're somebody listening to this and considering joining a team, ask to have that team lead show you their business model. Ask questions. Ask as many questions as you possibly can to find out as much information as you possibly can. And they, they're probably going to do the same thing to you and be as honest as possible because the more, and the more open that team leader is, the, the more likely I would tell you join that team. Absolutely. If, if it looks like there's smoke and mirrors, if it looks like they're evading questions and not answering them, or they just can't come up with numbers or results, get out of there. It's not for you. Go, go somewhere else. Absolutely. That, was, that, that is solid advice right there. I can't tell you the amount of times I've sat in front of anybody in a leadership position and they can't talk to me about their business, right? It does seem like mm-hmm. there's smoke and mirrors. It does seem like there's things that are missing that I can't, right? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And when those things happen, those are clear red flags, clear red flags. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, so now you're a buyer's agent and a seller's agent. Which one do you like better? Do you have a preference? That's a good question. I, I love working with first time home buyers. I, I find a, their level of appreciation for what we're able to provide them and the level of service we're able to provide them. They often get blown away from their expectations of saying, this is going to be the most stressful moment of my entire life. And, and we handhold them all the way through the process and through the home ownership process as well. And the amount of appreciation they have is phenomenal and I love it. Uh, I also love selling homes, thinking about how to market a home probably, going through the whole process start to finish and, and really being able to do that. I, I do find a lot of joy in that as well. Got it. Got it. What, what challenges are you finding right now that's happening in the industry? What are some big hurdles, some, some things that are going on that maybe people don't know about, or maybe people do, but from, from your perspective? From my perspective, obviously we've seen a shift in the market. This, um, what are we, we're in October, mid-October, 2018 mm-hmm. and beginning of October, 2018. Sorry. <laughs> Time almost, flies, right? Like we're always thinking about the next week. <laughs> exactly. I'm already planning for Q1, 2019. Um, <laughs> stay present, stay, stay present, Nick, stay present. Okay. Okay. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> you saw me start to drift away. My body language changed. That was I hilarious. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me back. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. So what we've seen about six months ago in the market was a drastic a shift from heavily favoring sellers. <clears throat> Properties were getting eight, 10. We had a property that had 14 offers on it in the first weekend. Wow. Everything was getting outbid. Now we're in a dead even market. It's not really favoring buyers or sellers. And it's caused a lot of panic in amongst the public. And what I always tell people is, who cares? People are still going to be moving. There's still plenty of business out there. From an agent's perspective, I would tell you this. If there's going to be 30,000 deals in my county this year, and I only need to sell 100 of them, that's what, 0.3%? Sure. It's nothing. That's a it's tiny, tiny, tiny sliver. And that's 100 homes. Right. That's a lot of people I can help. If you're a potential buyer and you're kind of seeing that shift in the market, what I always tell people is, well, take the example of 
interest rates going up and prices dropping a little bit. You're still going to pay the same monthly payments. Now, if interest rates go up and prices drop quite a bit, and you're paying two, three thousand a month in rent for three years, there goes over a hundred thousand dollars you just spent. So if prices would have to drop, well, way, way, way more over than a hundred thousand dollars to have it make sense for somebody to wait. Real estate's about the long-term game. Mm. Uh, some of the other challenges we're seeing are discount agents. A lot of agents are discounting themselves and discounting their commissions, and it's really hurting the communities out there and sellers out there as well. How so? Like how, how, how are yeah. agents like discounting themselves? What does that mean? So they're reducing their commissions drastically or giving a lot of their commission back to the seller. Of so, a home. Like, so like literally agents are out there saying, Hey, you don't have to pay a 6%. I'll, I'll take three and pay closing costs or stuff like that. Exactly. Or we get things like purple bricks for, uh, I think it's a $3,400 flat fee. They'll go ahead and sell your property. But when we start digging into the numbers and the data behind it, their marketing is garbage. We've actually taken over many of their listings in the past several months Mm -hmm. because they're not getting showings. And people are paying actually to get out of Purple Bricks contracts. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do yeah. you think that's the way the, the industry is going to go though? Like, do you think eventually it'll get to that place where like, it's just companies, you say you pay us a flat fee, we sell your house, done. You, you see it happening like that? I don't. Uh, a lot of people do, but, but I personally don't because I think every house needs to be marketed very, very differently, especially here where where we've got hills and our price point here, like I said, our average price point, well, here in San Clemente is about $1.4 million. That's average. That's, yeah, that's average. And so there's a lot of specifics that need to go into it and a lot of strategic marketing that needs to go in it. And you need to analyze big data behind the property to see how that goes into it. And then you've got to come up with a whole marketing strategy from before the market, while it's on the market, how to push the property out to buyers looking to buy for that home in that particular area. And that costs money to do. And so, for example, like the Purple Bricks example, we showed them their property on Zillow over the last week only had one view. <laughs> one person on Zillow saw their house in a week. And we had a property on the market that had about 458 views. It was only on the market for four days. Wow. So then let's go down that path, right? Not to cut uh-huh. you off, but like what like what are you doing to to show homes now? Like are, are you using technology? Because again, we touched on the disruptor that we were a part of the disrupt event. And that was one of the premises of that, that conference was that you know what? Industries are changing. Industries are getting disrupted left and right. So now we have to do things differently. And I know you're one of the guys that's ahead of the curve and really getting things done. So what what's changed? Like, what are you doing differently to get 400 plus views on that? Well, we one is we have a whole marketing staff, a whole marketing team. Again, coming back to that team concept, we, ha- we have a marketing team, we have a photography team, we have a graphics design team. We've got access to a big data on who's what demographics of people are actually moving into that particular community. And with all of that combined, we're able to really laser focus what we do. A, a single agent simply cannot do that. A, a single agent just by themselves or a husband wife team simply cannot do that. Or a discount agent. They're not going to have the money to pay one of the top real estate marketing firms in the country a lot of money to be able to push the home through a lot of different avenues. 
obviously, as, as you mentioned, one of the big topics that the disruptor was social media and the takeover of it. And that's, if you're not on social media, get on social media. Absolutely. Just do it. I'm telling you right now, get on there, have a presence on there and start building it. What advice would you give that person? If there's a new agent, right? Listening to the podcast and they are kind of on social, but right they're the, uh, their broker or the people that they're working with are telling them the traditional path, right? Door knocking flyers, those type of things. What do you tell them to do to get started initially? I would say a handful of things. Follow your broker's advice. If they know what they're doing and they've helped a lot of top producing agents, go watch what those top producing agents are doing. Ask them questions. Say, hey, when you first started, how did you get your business? And do you think those same tactics or strategies would work today? If they say, yeah, boom, implement them. Now, on top of that, you've got to go onto Facebook and you've got to go into Instagram and you've got to really business up your page. Don't create two separate pages. The only reason for somebody to create two separate pages, in my opinion, is because there's things in their life they're trying to hide from their professional clientele. And if that's the case, then they probably have some personal things that they need to change about themselves and some habits they need to change about themselves in order to really grow in the business anyhow. And so that'll be a good stepping stone for you is get rid of the personal, go only business. Now that said, your business page, you're going to want to run about three quarters of that as a personal page. And you're only going to want to run about 25 to 30% of that as business posts. Because yeah. nobody likes to see just stats again and again and again and again. People, people miss that all the time, Nick. Like it's mm-hmm. one thing that I wish I could really just like, you know, if you could like strangle people in, right? <laughs> like I just, like every time I see the page and it's just post after post after post about what they do or like yeah. something like, it's like, listen, I am not going to look at you because I don't want to just be bombarded with your thing, right? Mm-hmm. Show me something else about you. Talk about, I'll look at anything else outside of like just what you do. Now, once in a while to throw it in there, fine, right? It's what you do. Business is a big part of your life, whether it's real estate or any other business, right? That makes sense. But at the end of the day, right, it can't be everything. It can't be 100% of your post. So I'm glad you told people. What what, what were those percentages again? You said 75, 25? Uh, uh, yeah, I would say about 75, 25. Because, yeah. because just look at the name, social media. It's it's social. People want to interact with you and who you are. Absolutely. People follow celebrities on social media. Who's, who's killing it right now? The Rock and Will Smith are on fire on social media. And what are they doing? They're not posting about their business, really. Right. They're posting about their personal life. That's they're right. posting about things they're grateful for, their friends, their family. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we have a one-way friendship with them. And that's what they've created. They've also created a sense of community within their page. Those are two huge ideas, not necessarily easy to implement, but people who can do that well will succeed in, in the social media environment very, very quickly. Absolutely. And that last part that you said, community is everything. That's why we do this podcast, mm-hmm. right? It's to just constantly build community. I don't want anything from, from the listeners. You don't want anything from the listeners. We just want to be able to give value, but then create community so that we can all continue to, to move dialogue forward, to answer questions, concerns, be resources, right? That's real community. And that's what social media is used for. I think social media gets a bad name, a bad rep 
a lot of times, but like for people like us that use it for business to advance business and to really just build community, have dialogue. Uh, it's so important. It's so important. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on that point for social media, but are you doing anything else that is different to, to move your business forward to either get open houses? I know that you, you had said that you were doing some neat things. That was also social media though, but for open houses, right? Was it, was it like, are, are you doing lives or were, were you doing lives for, for open houses or, or something like that? I don't remember. I think you had, you had said something, but if not, then that's okay. I'm um, about somebody we else. Do. Yeah, but, we, do, we do do a handful of lives for yeah. at open houses every once in a while. Uh, Facebook targeting. That's what you had talked Facebook about. Facebook targeting. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Facebook targeting for open houses. And what's the average amount of people you have getting to, to your open houses? It depends. Obviously, the, as you know, and as we mentioned here, the market did shift quite tremendously. We, in the spring, we were getting usually 75 to 100 people per open wow. house. Wow. Um, That's big. And now when, when we really advertise and market an open house in, in certain communities, we're still getting usually about 30, 45 people per open house. That's awesome. So we're still getting pretty good numbers. Also, as as an agent, I would highly recommend any new agent do as many open houses as you possibly can. Mm, Why? Because people are are going to open houses for one reason. They're looking to buy a house. Sure. And that's, you just put up a bunch of signs and you know what? People are going to drive to the open house and drive to go and meet you Mm. because they want to buy a house. It may not be that house, but these are all potential buyers going to you. Absolutely. That's smart. For free. For free. <laughs> right? Those are those are free leads. That's what we call them. We call them free leads. So Yeah. Now you might only get one or two conversations or one or two people through the door in a five hour window, but hey, that's that's free. It's yeah. just takes a little time to set up signs and take down signs. That's it. And you can work while you're there. That's it. That's it. What what do you spend most of your day doing now, Nick? Like um, it really depends day to day. I, I've got a bunch of buyers I'm working with. I've got a handful of sellers that were prepping their houses for the market. So I've been doing a lot of that end and a lot of follow-up. A lot of people who are looking to buy in the next three months. And I've got another whole group that are looking to buy about four to, or four to 10 months or six to 10 months out. So keeping everybody up to date on the market, the trends, what's going on and starting to narrow things down to different communities and floor plans and provide as much value as I can so that they feel confident when they do go to buy a house. Sure. In, in your opinion, what, what does it take to, to be a good agent? Like, what does it take? Cause I'm sure there's a lot, like you said, 95, five, right? There's a lot of people trying to make it happen, but in your opinion, like what does it take to be a good realtor, real estate agent? Well, I think it comes back to what you mentioned, communication, conversation, building gen- genuine relationships with people. Because sure. think about it. I'm, I'm helping somebody with a problem that's likely going to be the biggest investment they'll ever have in their lives. Mm. A $500,000 over here is going to get somebody a condo. And that's a, that's a half a million dollar condo right. with two bedrooms and two bathrooms with connected to three or four different people. And that's, that's a lot of stress on somebody to navigate that process, negotiate. And, and it takes a lot of willingness to genuinely help, help and provide value and, and comfort for these people. So they feel comfortable from start to finish all the way through. And I would tell you to ask yourself this, at what point do you feel anxious or stressed in the transaction period or in that relationship building period? 
And at what point through a transaction do you often feel stress or your client feels stress or some sort of anxiety or angst or whatever the negative emotion may be? That's probably caused by you. I'm going to tell you right now, that's 99% of the time caused by the agent. Why? Why? How does it happen? It can happen for a lot of different reasons. Not setting expectations correctly, not being ahead of things, not knowing where, what's going to happen next in the transaction, and then forecasting three steps ahead and already putting out those fires before your client even sees them. Mm. All of that stuff is extraordinarily, extraordinarily important. And remain calm during the whole thing. Because if I start to freak out, my client's going to start to freak out. Absolutely. If I say, oh, yeah, you know, the mortgage company just called me. And, uh, yeah, we can't get a loan. We're going to fall out of escrow. But but don't worry. It's, you know, I got you. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. I already got you set up with this other company. I'm going to introduce you to him later today. I've already talked to him about your situation, your income, and everything else. And we're going to try to salvage this escrow. But if not, we're going to find a new house that's going to come to the market soon. I've got a couple ideas, and we're going to run through it. Wow. That, that that sounds quite comfortable. Absolutely. I, I would be I would be comfortable with that. Right? Like if, if you were helping me, I'd be like, yes, sure, Nick. Anything that you say. <laughs> or or I could I mean there there are three kind of approaches. One is the real salesy approach. Hmm. This would be the second possible approach of yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's all good. Everything's going to work out just fine. I got you. It's yeah. We're going to find another house for you. Everything's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Right. You're kind of going. That's kind of off-putting. That's right. uh, weird. Right. Or the third option is the oh shit, I'm fucked. Yeah. What the hell do we do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, our our lender can't can't do the deal right. And um, I, I, I think the seller is going to cancel the contract on us. <laughs> right. Where does that leave me? I'd be like, uh, so then what do we do? Right. Like you just, uh, yeah. You gave- what do you do? Find a new agent. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the thing to do in that case. Right. And it's funny because I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with that agent already. Right. Oh, that yeah. doesn't know and, how to handle it. And you know what? I, I was that agent at the beginning of this of my journey in this industry. I was. Yeah. And then I turned into the salesy guy and now I'm working on being that guy who forecasts so far ahead mm-hmm. that everything's just going to run smooth yeah. and we got it. Absolutely. It's funny because yeah. in, in my business, I say the same thing. I just label it. We call it the awkward stage, the mechanical stage and then the natural stage. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's literally what you just said, right? Like the beginning, it's super awkward. You don't know the words. So you're that Debbie Downer just, just <laughs> telling them all the news that they don't need to hear. Right. Because it's awkward for you because you've never faced that situation before. But then you get into the mechanical phase. Right. The mechanical stage is when you actually are salesy because you've been taught sales. So you understand it. So now you're just rattling it off, even though it's maybe a little disingenuous. <laughs> right. Or it's not yeah. really what is supposed to be said. And then you transition into the natural stage where the first, the first example where it just makes you feel comfortable. You just know that like you're putting them at ease, but that takes time. How, how long did it take you to get all the way to where you're at right now? Um, a long ass time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer. And and you know what? That's, that's something I'm probably going to be working at for the rest of my entire real estate career. Absolutely. And it's, it's something it's, that's personal development, it's interpersonal skills. 
communication skills. Those are all things that I am going to continuously work on and you know, really dive deep on uh, throughout my entire 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 career. Yeah. And to get where I'm at now, put things into perspective. I have I've had my license for five years. I've been an active agent for four years. Awesome. And yeah. Going through those stages, right? Like learning. Yeah the entire time. And that's really what it's about, right? Real estate, just like any industry that you're really starting out, you have, it's, it's a learning curve, right? But at the end of the day, if you lead from a place of adding value, if you lead from a place of doing what's right, right? It's just a people business, just yeah. another people business. That's all it is. So um, that's awesome, man. We're, we're going to get wrapped up here in a second, but I always want to talk to agents. This is always a funny question for me. And if you could recollect, give me a crazy agent story. Right, like you're dealing with a buyer or you're dealing with a seller. Jeez, which one? I mean, yeah, do you have another I'm four sure, hours? Five I'm hours? sure, but give me like a really good one, Nick. Like, give me like a really juicy one that either was like sucked okay. completely or not. But tell me, tell me that um, that story. I'll give you two. Okay, give me two. Uh, one one of them's real quick, real short. Uh, had to do when I was I was working with guys at the trustee sale, and so these properties are going into foreclosure. They're going into auction. Uh, they're usually super run down. Sometimes they're vacant. They're empty. And if you can gain access to a home and know the inside of it, you're going to have a huge, huge advantage right. on the actual property when when you go to buy it. And uh, there was one property that well wasn't supposed to be there. Somebody called the cops on me. <laughs> Nick, so I can't imagine anybody calling the cops on you, just so you know. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, no, normal, professional-looking white dude in the yeah. middle of one of the safest cities in all of Orange County, right. sitting in handcuffs and nice shoes, nice pants, and a dress shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. I would have paid anything to see that. Did anybody take a picture? Does anybody have a picture of that? I don't know. If you do, send it to me. I would love to see it. <laughs> Um, not, not a highlight moment for me. Clearly, clearly. Yeah. So you yeah. got arrested. Anyway. So you got like, did you actually, yeah. did you get arrested, arrested? Oh, like, oh, there were, there were about six cops surrounding the property, guns drawn. And I went, I, went, I was on the second level looking down at him going, oh shit, how do, how do I get out of here without getting shot? <laughs> <laughs> so I waited till they went around the front of the building and then I opened the back door and just shot my hands out sideways. <laughs> And then just kept him in the air, didn't move, and waited for him to come around and see me with hands in the air. <laughs> Smart. Smart. Because if that were me, I would have been shot. Just throw that out there. But it's Black all guys in Philly? I don't know. But. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, I don't know how that would have ended up. But either way, it's good that we can still have this conversation and you're still here with us. That's, that's good. Exactly. <laughs> One other story for you. A lady wanted me to sell her house. She goes, I can't afford you. I'm going to use this other discount agent. And I showed her the numbers and went, here's, here's the stats for this other agent. She's going to lose you way more money than that $5,000 you're going to save in commission. I'm going to get, get you an extra $12,000 into your pocket. So the difference, five minus 12, I'm going to make you an extra $7,000. Right. He goes, no, no, no. Trust me. Any agent can sell this property. He goes, but I want to use you to help me buy a property. I said, all right, sure. So I show her this community, know exactly what she's looking for. She's almost in tears, thanking me. She gives me a hug. She goes, this is the community I want. I love it. Let's do it. Let's get ready to go. She calls me and says, hey, let's write an offer on this property. And I said, well, I'm at a home inspection. And this, this lady has been like hounding me, very aggressive. And I'm, I'm having to just be, you know what, very stern and very professional back to her because she's 
She was yelling at me a handful of times. She was swearing at me a handful of times. Give me this damn property. I don't care what the F I have to do. Like, screw the seller's buyer. I, I know the market. I know the industry. I know what's going on. I'm the best. Anyone could sell my home. I'm going to be bossy and push around my discount agent on the listing side of the transaction. Right. And anyways, she calls me and goes, I'm fed up with this lady. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. That's it. I'm I'm going to write this offer. And if in this, pro- this offer is not going to get accepted because her home is not even on the market yet. Right. <laughs> and... And if we don't get accepted, I'm going to tell her, hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. I, I just, I don't feel I can give you the best representation possible and have that conversation. So I'm at a home inspection in the morning, 730 in the morning. She goes, if you don't write this offer by noon, you're fired. It's done. It's over. I, just me being me. All right. Yeah, sure. You know what? I'll, I'll get it done. It's going to be the very first thing I do when I get back to my office. Should be there around 1130. I actually typed it up last night, as I told you. I just have to change the price. Send it for DocuSign. It'll, it'll be done. It'll take me about five minutes. So before 11.45, you'll definitely have it in your inbox ready for DocuSign. Yeah. And she's swearing at me and yelling at me. And then finally, she's calling me like 10 times before noon from like 7.30 to noon. Oh, my gosh. Actually, it was before 10 a.m. I take that back. And then I'm just, you know, I'm not going to answer this lady. I'm, I'm done with her. <laughs> this is it, right? Yeah. And so the last straw was, and this pissed me off more than anything, she fired me at 11 o'clock. <laughs> that is crazy. She fired me at 11 o'clock through a video text message and said, Nick, it's over. You're done. There's clearly no sense of urgency. You're fired. And, went, and it pissed me off for one reason. I didn't get to fire her ass first. Right. <laughs> it's like she got to it before I could, right? Yeah. That's I mean, normally I'm... I'm cool, calm, and collected and professional with 90, probably 95, 98% of people. Right. But there are some people I just, I, I can't do business with this person. I get it. No I get way. it. But the best part is you get, you get to choose, right? Really, you get to yeah. choose who you do business with, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of it. But those are, those are solid stories. I really wish I had a picture of you getting arrested that would be freaking awesome that would be good yeah well and this lady's property it, it's still on the market it's been on the market three months it's gone really? or four price reductions yeah some people don't just don't listen right They they think they know too much for their own good and sometimes it's tough but either yeah. way it's the industry we choose right we we choose to deal with people so Wrapping up, Nick, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, man. You obviously gave a ton of value, but before we get off, let the people know where they can find you, whether it's social or website, where, where can people find you? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, this is, this has been phenomenal. You've got a fantastic thing going here with this podcast. It, it is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's something that is providing a lot of value for a lot of people and, and it's going to better a lot of people's lives as well. And thank so, you, so keep this podcast going. Definitely. Thank you, Anyways, if you guys want to reach out to me, easiest way is through Instagram at Nick Aaron's Real Estate. Just type in Nick A-H or Nick A-H-R. You'll see me pop up. White dude with the blue background on <laughs> there. I'm on Facebook. I don't use it a whole lot, mostly on Instagram. Check out my, my podcast, sellpodcast.com. That's S-E-L podcast.com, one L there, or readteamhomes.com. R-E-E-D teamhomes.com. You'll find uh, you'll find my whole team there. Awesome. Awesome. I'll make sure I link it up in here so you guys know how to get to it pretty quickly. But for sure, reach out to Nick. He's just a great guy. He wants to give you value. And obviously, if you are buying or selling a home in his area, 
please reach out to him because he's definitely a guy that's going to help you out. So again, Nick, we're going to sign off, but thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, buddy. See ya. Absolutely. And then we are signing off completely from my office here in Media PA that uh, the Property Players Podcast is coming to a conclusion for this episode. We will get a chance to check you guys out next time. Until then, stay well.